Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. So if you're not involved in a small group or a Sunday school class, let me encourage you next Sunday, try one out. Go and, and attend a Sunday school class. Get to know some people. If you're looking for a small group to get involved, we're going to kick off at the beginning of November another group of, of small groups. You can go sign up out in the fellowship hall. There's a table out there. You can look over some of the offerings and find one where you can get plugged in. So we encourage you to do that. The second thing I want to mention is this. We'll be starting a new sermon series next Sunday, and we are calling it Dark Night. And it comes from uh, the old phrase, the dark night of the soul, uh, from a, a poem many, many years ago. And you find over the years, uh, if you look on the internet, you'll find so many references to this poem, to the dark night of the soul. The idea is sometimes we as Christians experience very difficult times. And those difficult times physically, those difficult times that we encounter uh, emotionally, those difficult times that we encounter as families, those difficult times can sometimes lead us to all sorts of deeper questions. It can be an opportunity for deeper growth, but it can lead us through some very dark nights. And so we want to take a few weeks and just talk about what does the Bible, how does the Bible walk us through those really dark and hard times. And I know some of you would say, well, everything's going really well right now. I, I'm not having a dark time. Well, you probably will at some point in time. And, and then again, you may know someone in your family, you may know a friend, you may know a coworker, and you say, you know, I really think they would benefit from this. Well, invite them to join us starting next Sunday for our new series called Dark Night. So I'm going to pray for us, and we are going to get started in Isaiah 66 this morning. Lord God, we come before you. Father God, we give you thanks that you are the king, that you're the king of the universe. And as we come before you, Father, we give you thanks for opportunities that we have here at East Haven to pursue you, opportunities to serve you, opportunities to know more about you, and opportunities to make you known. And so, Father, we pray that we would be faithful to do just that. And Father, we give you thanks for all of our leaders who work tirelessly to reach others for you, and to uh, be a tool that you use to grow others into deeper maturity in Christ. And Father, we pray today, as we look at your word, that you might speak to us, you might speak to our hearts, you might speak to our minds, and that you might give us encouragement, and that we might leave with a clearer view of who you are as the king of the universe. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. For the last two weeks, we've been working through the series that we've called Seated, and we've been looking at different passages in Isaiah. For the last two weeks, we looked at Isaiah chapter 6, and we just walked through that. Now I want us to jump all the way to the end of Isaiah, to Isaiah 66, and I want us to look at a couple of verses there as we are discussing this idea of God being seated upon the throne. We've looked at the idea of God being the sovereign Lord God of the universe, and we've also looked at Isaiah's response later in chapter 6 of Isaiah, how he responded humbly, how he responded in repentance, and how he responded and was willing to serve God however long that took. 
I want us to look at one more idea that you find in Isaiah about our response to God, and that is our response to God in worship. More accurately, why do we respond to God in worship? In Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, Isaiah writes, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So Isaiah lays out the words of the Lord about God again being seated, heaven is my throne. And Isaiah, as he's laying out these words and he's recording these words of God, God gives us some reasons there and some ways, actually, that we are to worship him and give him the honor that is due him. The first idea that we find is this. We honor the uncontained and unrestrained reign of God. I know that's a lot, there are a lot of rhyming words in there, but the uncontained and unrestrained reign of God. What do we mean by that? Well, look at verse 1. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? God says, heaven is my throne. He is not contained to a specific place on earth. You find that this passage is mentioned over in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, before Stephen is martyred, Stephen quotes this passage in Isaiah chapter, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 7, uh, starting with verse 49. He quotes this passage because the Jews, he points out that they believe that God, his, the worship of him was contained to this one place. You can only worship God in the temple. That is it. But you find all the way back in Isaiah that God says, heaven is my throne. I'm not enthroned in any one building. Sometimes we, and we want to, rever we want to revere and show the correct reverence for the house of God. Absolutely. But I remember growing up, I, I had a, a woman in our church and she said that the house of God, the building is just the same as the temple in the Old Testament. And so that's the place you go to meet God. And I remember listening to her say that and thinking that's, that doesn't sound right according to Scripture. Well, it's not right according to Scripture. The church building has not replaced the Old Testament temple. In fact, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God now indwells his people. And so if you want to look at the Old Testament temple, the New Testament parallel is the people of God in whom dwells God's spirit. But God is uncontained. He's not contained to a specific location. He's not contained to a specific building. He's not contained to a specific country. Because God says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? Meaning, what kind of place are you going to build for me? What kind of place do you think you can build that can contain my glory? Now, we know in the Old Testament that they built a tabernacle according to God's standards. They built a temple according to God's standards. But that was not a place where God said, I'm going to be there, but nowhere else. God says, heaven is my throne. 
earth is just my footstool, but heaven is my throne. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24, we find these words, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Our God is not a homeless God. Our God is not a vagrant God. He's not wandering around saying, oh, I just wish someone would build a building so I can, I can be in that building. I wish someone would build me a temple so that I could go and inhabit that. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've got my knapsack on my back and I'm just going to wander around. And that's the way I'm going to live. You don't find God doing that. God says, I don't need a building made with human hands. Why, how could, why would you even think that you could do that? We can, never, we can never accomplish anything by our own ability that measures up to the full glory of God himself. There's nothing that we can do on our own that measures up to the glory of God. Not by our own ability. Not by our own hand. We, cannot, we can never do that. His glory is always greater than our ability to honor him. It's always greater. Because God has this uncontained reign, and it's unrestrained. God can do, as we looked at earlier in our first uh, sermon of the series, God can do whatever he wants. God sits on his throne in heaven, and he does whatever he wants. Solomon understood this truth before he built the temple in the Old Testament. Listen to what Solomon says in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 6. But who is able to build him a house? Since heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him who am i to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him you find that solomon even understood this house is not going to be a place where he lives i mean you all of heaven can't even contain him this is just a place for us to go and for us to respond in worship to his uncontained and unrestrained reign do you see god that way do you see God that way whenever you worship him? Whenever you bring, uh, you bring God glory and honor and you, you go before him to worship him, do you understand that you're serving an uncontained God? You're serving a God who is not just localized. I remember many years ago I was in, a, in an appointment and I was talking to this guy. and uh, This guy came to my office when I was working up in Tennessee and he sat down and he said, I just want you to know I have a problem with God. I said, well, okay. So what's, what's the problem? He said, well, I'm mad at God about this, and I don't agree with God on that. And, and he, he gave me a laundry list of things that he disliked about God, and he was angry at God about it. And I said, well, well have, you, um, have, you, have you prayed about it? And he said, well, no. And I said, well, why don't we pray right now? And he said, okay. So we were in my office, and I said, go ahead, you start. And he said, most loving, gracious, heavenly Father, I come before you humbly to, and, I mean, you know, real, real lofty prayer. And so I did something I don't normally do, and that is interrupt someone's prayer. And I said, hey, man, time out, time out, time out. What are you doing? He said, well, I'm talking to God. And I said, well, you just, you just spent a half an hour telling me everything that you hated about God, the reasons you're angry at God, and now you're leading out your prayer in that way? And he leaned in. This is not a joke. He leaned in and whispered, but I can't let him know how I really feel. Oh, buddy, 
We got some things. We got some basic things we need to cover. He already knows. His reign is uncontained. It is unrestrained. He knows all things. He is is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He knows the thoughts that we are going to have before we even think them. Before the word is on our lips, he already knows them. And now this guy is saying, I just can't let him know. Because if I let him know, how is he going to respond? Listen, God is not contained. He lives in heavenly places. He dwells in the heavenly places. And he also dwells within the hearts of those who follow him. Secondly, we worship the creator, not creation. That's that's the other idea of God being the king of the universe. We worship the creator. We don't worship creation. Look at verse 2. All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. God essentially saying, how is it that you're going to make me a place to dwell out of things that I made that are physical things? So I already made this, which means I'm over them. And now you're going to take them and make something with them that in your mind places these things that you have built on the same level as me. He said, no, wait, wait, I made those things. That's, that's something I created. So we don't worship the creation. We worship the creator. All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God did not become God simply because he created things. Before the mountains were created, before the world was created, before the foundation of the world was laid, God was still God. From everlasting to everlasting, he's still God. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God. Little parenthetical statement there. Who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Isaiah draws a straight line from the idea of God being the creator to him being Lord of all things. Because he created all things. When you create all things, they all belong to you. When you create all things, you rule over all things. And so we worship him as the creator. This is what John mentions in the first chapter of the book of John. John chapter 1 verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing was made except through God. God did not say, oh, now there's, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't know. That just spontaneously happened. That got past me, I suppose. No. No, God made all things. As one physicist said many years ago, there are no rogue molecules in the universe. God rules over all things. And all things were created by him. This is why we find in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, the worth and the glory given to God because he is the creator. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Do you know the glorious part of this? When you look at it, you get right down to it. That means everything that was created has purpose. I like to say God does everything on purpose. God does everything on purpose. 
God doesn't do anything incidentally. God doesn't do anything accidentally. God does everything on purpose, which means when he created, he created for a purpose. And now you can understand, since we were created by God, do you know what that means? We have a purpose. Everything that was created was made on purpose by God. And God has a purpose. He has a reason. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God created us for his glory. He created us on purpose. So we worship God as the creator. We worship God as the source of life. We worship God as the one who made all things. And since he made all things, he's over all things. And since he's over all things, he is the one that we look to, not creation itself. We can get so caught up in creation. We can get so caught up in the things of earth and elevate them to the place of God. Sometimes we use the word sacrilege. And many times we use the word sacrilege in this way. We say, we say oh, that, that, that thing that person did or that action they took, that was a sacrilege. What we normally mean is that they took something sacred and they used it for some common purpose. But can I tell you, sacrilege works the other way as well. If we take something that is not God and elevate it to the place of God, that's a sacrilege as well. If you take creation and elevate it to the level of creator, that's a sacrilege as well because it's not giving God his due and it's not giving God the glory that he deserves. The Bible is very clear about what happens when you fail to recognize God as creator because when we fail to recognize God as creator, it's like a cascade effect and all sorts of things come from that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24, Paul writes, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And look at verse 25. Here's the reason. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul is writing and he's saying that the reason God gave the people over to debased ideas and a debased mind and actions that were running contrary to the will of God is because they did not honor God as the creator. When you reject God as the creator of all things, you're also rejecting God as the ruler of all things. And if you reject God as the ruler of all things, you will worship someone or something. That's why we talk about atheism, and the Bible talks about the fool has said in his heart there is no God. And, and sometimes people like to say, theologians say, uh, atheists say we don't believe in God, and God in his word said, I don't believe in atheists. That it's not a matter of an atheist, it's a matter of someone who is unwilling to look at the truth. But we will all worship something or someone. We're all designed, we're all hardwired for worship. And so in the absence of, of God, if we try to dethrone God from the throne of our heart, we will put someone or something upon that throne. We will worship someone or something. And if it's not the creator, then it will be part of creation. And what happens is when you try to dethrone God as the creator, you're not going to see him as the Lord over all things. And if you don't see him as the Lord of all things, then you start to exercise your own rule. And if you live in a kingdom where you are ruled by self, can I just tell you, it is a cruel kingdom to live in. 
And there are standards in that kingdom that are far more harsh than anything that the Lord God would place upon us. So we find that if we reject the creation, uh, if we reject the idea of God as creator, we will reject the idea of God as Lord. And if we reject the idea of God as Lord, then someone or something else will take his place on the throne of our heart. This is why in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 11, you find these words, thus you shall say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. The gods who did not make these idols, these false things that you're worshiping, who are not creator, meaning if they're not creator, they're not Lord. And if they're not Lord, they're not worthy of your honor. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. We worship the creator, not creation. Where is it in your life? Maybe you're tempted to worship creation. Where is it in your life that you're tempted to take something that is created, be it a person or be it an idea or be it a thing, and elevate it to the place and put it on the same level as God? It's not worthy to occupy the same space as God. It was created by God for a purpose, and that purpose was to bring glory to God, not to be at the same level as God. We honor the uncontained and unrestrained reign of God. We worship the creator, not creation. And finally, we bow our hearts before we bow our knees. Look at the second part of verse 2. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He says, I'm not after a building that I can occupy because I am the ruler of all things, because I am the creator of all things, and how are you going to build a building that would house me because heaven is my throne? But then he says, this is the one that I'm going to look upon. This is the one that I'm going to pay attention to. The one I'm going to pay attention to is one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Who's humble, who's lowly, who's, who's down low, who has gotten low before me. That is the one. That is the one that I'm going to look upon. And the one who is contrite in spirit. That word contrite, it's a word that means broken. It's a word that means you cannot walk on your own or you're walking around with a limp. That you can't make it on your own. That your spirit understands that you cannot depend upon yourself. You must depend upon God. Some of you have heard me mention it. I had a discussion with a guy one time who was not a believer in Christ. He wasn't a follower of God. And he looked at me and he said, the problem with you Christians is that Christianity is a crutch. That's your problem. And I said, you're absolutely wrong. And he said, no, 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 I'm not wrong. Christianity is a crutch. And I said, oh, no, no, you didn't go far enough. I said, Christianity, my life with Christ, it is not a crutch. My life with Christ is my breath. It is everything. I depend totally upon him. I said to call him a crutch is to do him a disservice. I said I am far more dependent upon Christ than to just call him a crutch. He is my life. Without him, I am nothing. Without a crutch, you can make it. But he is not a crutch. He is much more than that. And the guy looked at me and said, no one's ever said that before. 
Everybody always tries to say, no, 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 he's not a crutch. I said, well, I'm saying he's not a crutch. He's more than that. I need him more than I need a crutch. But this word here means that you are broken down, that you, you, can't, you can't make it on your own, that you bear the marks of being broken because you recognize that in and of yourself, you don't have what it takes. You, you find in Isaiah chapter 57, the same idea mentioned again, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place. You know where else I dwell? With the lowest of the low. I dwell way up here and I dwell way down there. And this is, this is how God relates to his people. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. We bow our hearts before we bow our knees. We bow down before God with our heart, with our spirit, before we bow the knee before God. Someone once asked Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous theologian and, uh, and preacher, ask him, how do you know when someone has truly met God? His immediate response was, he walks with a limp. He walks with a limp. He walks with a limp, recognizing he can't do it on his own. He's a broken person because he recognizes he doesn't have what it takes. He walks with a limp. Thank you, God, for the limp. There's the blessing of the limp that if you are a follower of Christ, that you have experience knowing that you can't do it on your own. We have to bow our hearts. We bow our spirits before we bow our knee. And if we have outward obedience without inward submission, there's a word for that. It's hypocrisy. We must bow our hearts before we bow our knees. Psalm 138.6, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. The arrogant he knows them from afar. But with the lowly, according to Isaiah 57, he dwells with them. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. We recognize we don't have what it takes. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Finally, we find the book of Joel. This statement that relates back to exactly what we're talking about. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Have an inward alignment with God before you have an outward show, an outward appearance of alignment with God. We bow our hearts before we bow our knees. Why? Because he's the king of the universe. I know in, in America, we had a thing a number of years ago. It was called the American Revolution that cast off the bounds and the bonds of the monarchy of England. And so we've kind of been separated from this idea of a kingdom. So we live in a republic. But if you're a Christian, you also live in a kingdom. And you're serving a king. Now, we all live in this idea of the kingdom of God, all the creation lives underneath God's kingdom. They just don't know it yet. I pray that I, and I pray that we would live in such a way that we recognize that we have dual citizenship, 
that we are American citizens, but if we're followers of Christ, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom, and we must live in that way, serving the king of the universe. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come before you today, God, I recognize that there may be people here, people listening, people watching, who may say, God's not my king. I've never bowed my heart to Jesus. Father, the, the staggering reality is that Jesus came here. And he was born king, but he came and dwelt among the lowest of the low. He, he took on the form of a servant, lived among us, and even, even stepped even lower than that by dying a criminal's death in our place. Father, never has a human been so debased and so abused and yet at the same time completely and totally innocent yet he took that place our place the king of the universe dying the death of a criminal the death that I deserved the death that each of us deserves Father, I pray if there's anyone today here who has never said, Jesus, I want you to be my king. I want to surrender everything to you. I want to serve you as the creator and not creation any longer. I want to, I want to serve you because you're worthy. I want to serve you because you have an uncontained and unrestrained reign. I want, to, I want to serve you humbly. I want to bow my heart before you, recognizing I can't do it on my own. And I'm asking you for forgiveness for my sin. Father, I pray today would be the day that they would make that decision to follow you and surrender to you as the king of the universe. And Father, there may be some of us here today that maybe that idea of the kingdom of God has become distant from our thinking. Maybe it's become distant from our heart. Father, I pray that you would realign us with your truth, that we would recognize that you rule over all things, because you created all things. You own all things. All things are yours to do with as you please, and may we, may we be pleasing to you, not by our own means, because we are walking with limps, but Father, may we be pleasing to you through the the blood of Christ and only through his righteousness can we stand before you. You, through the righteousness of Christ, make us whole again. And it's only, it's only through his sacrifice that that's possible. We can't work it up. We can't think it up. We can't do anything by our own ability. So Father, I pray that during this time, whatever decision that we need to make to turn these things over to you, to surrender to you, Father, I pray that as you walk us into that next step of faith, that we'd be faithful to follow. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.